This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Indoors or out, fall, winter, spring, and summer, whenever you garden, wherever you garden, this is the show that covers it all. The AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And good morning. I'm your sous chef, Frank Proctor, helping out Charlie Dobbin. Well, sometimes helping out Charlie Dobbin on The Garden Show, which will extend the full hour featuring your questions, even your comments. Right, Charlie? That's right. We yeah. love to hear what's going on in your garden. So cool. Yeah. If you have questions? Even you what's have... going on in your bedroom. Just let us know. Anything interesting, Planting. you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> phone <laughs> phone numbers for those of you living in Toronto. 416-360-0740. Anywhere else in the province, it is toll-free. 1-866-740-4740. And the mantra... Call early, call often, one question per call. Now, there you go. Very well I did done. that without any kick under the table Smooth. there from you. You know, the, the old mantra kick. Give the mantra. Oh, ow, ow. Yes, of course I will, Charlie. Well, and a couple other things that I love to share with our listeners. Yes. My email address. If you, you know, Absolutely. are too shy to come on the show or can't get through, mm-hmm. remember you can always email. First initial C, last name Dobbin. So C D O. B B I N at AM seven forty. And she had to read that. Dot C. <laughs> You're right. Actually, I did. But uh, the other thing I like uh, is that if you miss a show, we are podcast. We are archived on iTunes. We are so cool. You can pick us up on iTunes. Very simple. Just iTunes.com. And in search, put in the Garden Show and choose a show and listen anytime. I think we'd be more appropriate if we were available on Looney Tunes. <laughs> That'd be. That'd be sort of right in the mark. Well, you know? I think we probably are on that one as well, <laughs> now hey, that oh, you mention it. Yeah. You had some questions from last week that you did a little research for? I, well, thank you for reminding me about my homework, Frank. And yes, indeed, <laughs> well, I, all right. I did my homework. But just before I get to that, let me just tell you uh, my one announcement. Well, remember, I did mention last week that today is a big event at Toronto Botanical Gardens. Mm. It's all about kids and family and Halloween. So if you've got children underfoot and you're looking for something to do, the sun is going to shine. Nice day to be outside. Go on down to the TBG and have some fun with reptiles and spider plants and scavenger hunts and <laughs> witches and all that fun stuff. The other thing is if you are a bulb person, you like to plant bulbs, you like to grow bulbs, You whether they're the spring blooming type or the summer blooming type there is a new bulb society starting up and it the very first meeting is going to be next sunday so october 31st mm-hmm. halloween day at 1 30 in the afternoon at the toronto botanical gardens which is 777 lawrence avenue east that's lawrence right at leslie uh now the um little flyer I was sent. It's going to be called the Greater Toronto Bulb Society. It is an exciting brand new society dedicated to the knowledge and joy of growing bulbs, tubers, 
corms, and rhizomes, both in the garden and indoors. Will you stop giggling? Why well, are you laughing? No, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just imagining all these wild, excited people, uh, you know, going there with their bulbs. <laughs> And having a party and, you know, wearing... You won't get it. ...shamplades on their head, uh, lampshades on their head. You just don't get... Oh, oh, bulbs. I see where you're going. Bulbs. I I thought you were just being sort of sarcastic about what a nerdy topic this is. But um, (laughs) my point is there are people that have things they love and they love to learn more about and share their nerdy interests with other nerdy people. I'm, I'm kidding, really. It's everybody has their different hobbies. And this is a great one because bulbs are... Some of the easiest things to grow in in a lot of ways. It's probably a a good way to get into gardening, right? Mm -hmm. You start with this sort of thing. And there will be a couple of featured speakers. Dougald Cameron, who everybody knows. Uh, Dougald runs a company called Garden Imports, and he is the bulb guy in the Toronto area, has been for a long time. And he'll be speaking on what's new in bulbs. And another uh, gentleman, Mike Maves, on how to winter store non-hardy tubers, Corms and rhizomes. Everyone is welcome. There you Frank. go. Okay. Me too. Okay. <laughs> now, what, uh, okay. what else do you have in your little slate of goodies oh, there? Oh, man. Well, like you said, there was that homework from last week. Yep. Uh, remember, Diane called us. She had some raspberries. Oh, that yeah. When she would yeah. try to pick them, they were just uh, falling, falling apart. apart. Yeah. Oh, good. Good for you. Now, um, she asked what is doing that. And Honestly, I can't say for definitive sure, but I believe she may have anthracnose on some of her uh, raspberries. I know that doesn't sound very good, does Jeez, it? Jeez, I hope she gets better soon. It's wow, a that's... fungus. <laughs> that, well, the main thing is it, check the canes in the spring for uh-huh. lesions, the raspberry canes, and that will be a giveaway that it could be anthracnose. If it is, uh, clearly you can do some spraying with Bordeaux mixture, B-O-R-D-O. It's a copper sulfate mm-hmm. mixture. Also, a couple things, control weeds use mulch, have very narrow rows with your raspberries so that they're not uh, congested and you've got good air circulation. And and remember as well to destroy wild brambles in the from that are out in the, the mm-hmm. woods there to help eliminate other sources of the infection if it is anthracnose. Um, and then we had a question from John, and I will get to John's question later because we're going to run out of time and have to go to a, a quick little little break here. But before we go, yes. uh, quick uh, comments on Sierra Sil. Yes. And uh, have you been remembering to yes, take your Sierra Sil? Good. good for you. You're feeling I'm good? I'm feeling most limber. Good. I am limber. most limber. We're going to be doing limbo dances uh, in the breaks. <laughs> um, because remember, <laughs> minerals are your garden's friend, but they're good for you too. So try Sierra Sil. It's a ma- natural mineral formula. It's proven to be effective against aches and stiffness. It makes gardening and other activities and chores a whole lot easier. And they guarantee it. They absolutely do. So for more information, call the 1-800. It's one 877 joint 14 answer all your questions ship you a bottle you can try 14 day guarantee okay there you go transplanting good ideas from one gardener to another this is the am 740 garden show with charlie dobbin Yes, the queen of the gardenias is here, uh, <laughs> along with uh, the, the goddess beauteous, beauteous, beauteous one of the bulbs. How's that? Very huh? nice. Very good. Oh, fragrant Frank. <laughs> oh, well, oh, <laughs> we could read a lot into that. Thank you very much. 913 here at AM 740, the garden show on the air, and we say hello to Dorothy in Toronto. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Morning. Good morning. Um, hi, this Past summer, I bought the the New Guinea plants. I got it at Loblaws, and I put them in urns. Sim- 
<clears throat> simply because when I put them in the earth, they just shriveled up and died mm. for the past four years. Mm-hmm. Now they're huge, and they've got buds on them. Mm, I'm nice. looking at them now, and I would like to keep them over winter. Could I? Well, Dorothy, do you have a sunny window inside your home? Yeah, in the basement. Oh, okay. Well, and good sun gets in. It's a big enough window. Oh, yeah. A couple it's, hours. Uh, yeah, it's there. Now, are these urns something you could handle and carry downstairs? Yes. Well, there you go. I, I guess now they weigh maybe seven or eight pounds with all the earth in them. Okay, so a couple of things. They're called a New Guinea patients. So you're absolutely right. They will die in the frost. Uh, so they do need to be, if you want to save them, they have to be brought indoors. If you can take, what I would do today, give them a real thorough soap and water wash, spritz with soap and water, yeah. a bit of a shower, then just a clean water rinse off all the leaves and the stems and even, you know, water right through the soil so that you've, you know, you're really cleansing the plants and then let them drain uh, overnight even. Uh, to get, it's going to rain tonight, so get them in under cover so that they get, don't get any more how water. Do they, how do you drain them? How well, do you drain the water? I assume you have holes in your urns, drainage holes. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Two or three. Okay, good. So that's what they'll drain through. Okay. The trick is once you've done a real thorough water, they're going to be a bit heavy. So you're going to have to leave them for an, a day or two just to lighten up a tiny bit. Uh-huh. Uh, and then take them down to the basement. Um, and in a bright, sunny location, cared for, you know, water carefully. You don't water as much indoors as you did outdoors. It's uh-huh. not as bright and sunny. It's not as warm. Uh, they should stay alive over the winter. And then we'll just give them a cutting back in March. Give them a, a pruning, a trimming in March before, yeah. and that will force some new growth to start to grow before they go out once we're frost-free next spring. Yeah. I don't know why they shriveled up in the earth. You know why they probably shriveled up? It's, it tells me something about your soil. Oh. Your soil is not nearly as wonderful as you'd like it to be by the sounds of it. Yeah. Full, it needs, it, what I, it, they wouldn't shrivel up if the soil had a real nice uh, fertility, a nice um, tilth, we call that, when it's got lots of organic matter. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a nice word, a eh? tilth. Tilth. Yeah. How do you get the soil like that? You add, what I do is I add a lot of leaves in the fall, uh, where you, in Toronto, there's always a lot of leaves around. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those run the leaves over with the lawnmower, chop them up, and then just put them into the garden, and the worms, etc., will chew them all up for you. Or, you know, in the spring, bring in that truckload of composted manure and get a good inch or two of manure into all your gardens. I find a lot of the urban gardens in, in the city, it's very sandy soil and it's not very fertile soil and it's constantly a, a process of adding organic matter. Yeah. Okay. And that will keep my uh, plants alive in the summertime. That will be make a much healthier environment. Your chance of success is much higher. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Dorothy. Dorothy, for calling in to The Garden Show here at AM740. Charlie Dobbin, our master gardener, all set to talk to Lorraine, who as well is from Toronto. Hi, Lorraine. Good, mor- Good morning. Good morning. Doesn't sound like a Lorraine. A is this no, Lorraine? No, it's not Lorraine. It's Lorraine's <laughs> husband. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Lorraine's husband. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, she something's makes, gone wrong She here. makes your calls for you, obviously. Well, no, it's just that she was so busy. She says, here, hold on to this for a minute. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not supposed, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. It's something about <laughs> raspberries. Okay. Good morning. Morning. Good. I'd like to know about the raspberries. When should we cut them down? What kind, well, what kind of raspberries are they? Everbearing. Oh, they are everbearing. Mm-hmm. We get two crops a year. Okay. 
You know, it's so funny. I get the I get the raspberry question uh, at least once or twice a year. So for ever-bearing raspberries, of course, they're called ever-bearing, but they aren't really. They have generally two harvests per season, one mid to late summer and one in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the fall crop is usually a bit lighter uh, and is on the one-year-old canes of the current season. So the trick with ever-bearing or, you know, so-called ever-bearing raspberries is prune all canes that bore fruit. Okay, in late winter, early spring, don't do any pruning now, obviously. No. But early spring, before the buds break, prune all canes that bore fruit last year because those will not fruit again. Oh. Okay? Okay. So they have the grayish peeling bark. Remove any canes that have grown outside the 12 to 18 inch designated row that is your footprint where your raspberries are supposed to stay, right? Okay. Remove any spindly or short canes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And thin so that there's about a four, that, so that there is about four to five of the healthiest, tallest, and fattest canes left per foot along the length of the row. Mm hmm. All right, to force your ever-bearing raspberries to produce only one crop in the fall, which some people do because they have so many kinds of raspberries. They have spring bloomers and then ever-bearing. Mm-hmm. So then they'll, you know, chow down on the early crop and save the ever-bearing for the fall crop. So sometimes people want to do that. And if you want to do that, to force your ever-bearing raspberries to produce only one crop in the fall, prune back the entire raspberry bush in early spring. So prune everything back in the early spring. Okay. Just more or less take the tops off and don't cut them down real low. No, not, no. The, exactly. The fat, juicy, healthy ones, uh-huh. you'll thin those. So there's about four to five of those per foot in your, in your bed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just, you can just take the tops off. Exactly. You can take off the top six inches or so. Don't, you don't need to prune them down hard at all in the spring. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, of course, we usually top dress with some good organic matter. And uh, and then you're good to go for the waiting with your bucket to start harvesting. And we get loads. Oh, I love raspberries. So, and the second crop is always larger. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, really. Larger fruits, mean, or, or big? Larger lar- fruit, yes. Oh, nice. Very, we very enjoy good. your show. We listen to it nearly all the time. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. And we enjoy it. Thank you very good much. Good luck with that. All righty. We're going to be along and uh, talk to Tracy in Bowmanville very shortly. And before we take a break, did you have uh, a little note there to John, was it, mm, that you wanted to well, touch on? Remember last week, John yeah. called. He had some bugs mm-hmm. in his garden. Uh, he referred to them as gray oblong-shaped oh, yeah, beetles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was John in Dunville. Sounds to me like what John's had is something called squash bugs. Okay, they can be a problem when we have hot, dry weather. Um, the insecticides, there are effective insecticides, but they are most effective only early in the season. So all bugs have a life stage, life cycles. Mm-hmm. This particular beetle starts with a nymph, and the nymph is obviously hatches from an egg, and the eggs are, are laid early in the spring. So you'll see the eggs on the back of the leaves of your various squash plants and your cucumbers and your zucchinis. Very distinctive eggs. They are very carefully laid in between the veins on the back or underside of the leaves. They're yellow when they're first laid, tiny, of mm. course, you know, pinhead sized, yellow, and then they turn a reddish brown a week or so later. Once the eggs hatch, then we're into the nymph stage. So from 
early June right through to usually about late July or mid-July, so six weeks or so, the nymphs are merrily racing around, sucking the juices out of our squash plants. That's when you spray. And what you can spray with is something as simple as a soap and water solution or a pyrethrum-based solution, like a Bug Be Gone, mm-hmm. which is pyrethrum-based. <clears throat> Excuse me. The main thing is is that the sprays we use are contact killers. So when you're spraying bugs, like the squash beetles, and these are the nymphs we're going to spray to be most effective. So we're doing the spraying, like I said, anytime in June, early July, when we've seen the eggs and we start to see damage, but it's spraying the underside of the leaves because that's where the nymphs are. Uh All this top spraying is not going to do you any good. Spray to contact the insects, and you will effectively wipe out enough of them. You may not wipe them all out, but you'll certainly wipe out enough of them that your crop will not be at risk. Or we also mentioned last week the idea of what are called floating row covers. Mm-hmm. That was that kind of yeah. muslin or tool. You know, it's that ballerina look out in the out in the garden, and that can be quite effective <laughs> as well. Tutu out That's there. That's right. Early mm. in the spring, before those eggs are, because the the insect overwinters in the soil emerges in the spring to lay those eggs. So the idea is you want to have everything protected the minute it's planted. There you go, John. Uh, she does her homework, I'm telling you. That's what I like about about you, Charlie. Really? really? If, if it's the you only don't know thing the answer, you like about me. <laughs> well... Pretty much. Huh? Uh, it's, it's awful hard to go beyond that. <laughs> it's nine. But you're right. I don't know I get... all the answers. I like to be considered the goddess oh, of the garden, but I don't know it all. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I like about you, when you don't know, you say, I don't know. I'll check. You know, <laughs> 923 here at AM 740. And we will be along to talk to Tracy in Bowmanville in just a moment. Getting to the root of a growing dilemma. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. <laughs> On a Saturday morning here, prior to Election Day, all, well, you know what, I'm not even going to... Don't we've start. Been, we've been, yeah, everybody's been through it to death. Okay. But uh, Saturday where the sun is going to come yes. out. And we had all that nice wind this mm. week. So we uh, just like last Saturday, we have our job cut out for us this afternoon. Leaves get those leaves off the lawns. Right. Um, the it's going to rain tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So today is the day. If you can, if you've been, if you're busy working all week, get out there with the rake and get those leaves. You know, because leaves will suffocate the lawn. The last yeah. thing you want to do is leave a bunch of big maple leaves mulch them flattened yeah. on the lawn. Mulching is good though. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. What does thank that you. mean? How would you? Well, mulch? You, you you could uh, run your lawnmower over them. Yes, you, you could. Yes, you could. With or without the bag, you can do it without the bag, and then the leaves yeah. drop onto mm-hmm. the lawn, which is good. Adds organics. Or with Darn, the bag. Yeah, now you stole my lines. I was going to say exactly that. <laughs> hey, let's find out what the trouble with Tracy is in uh, Bowmanville. Hello. Hello, Tracy. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Tracy. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Good. I'm just on my way to Kingston. My dog, Mitzi, and I called you guys uh, a couple of months ago. I had weeds around my pool, and you told me to throw hot water on it, and it would kill them. Yep. And by gosh, you're right. It oh, did. Good. I remember talking to Mitzi. I remember talking to Mitzi. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what I'm phoning you for today is I've got a large L-shaped garden in my backyard, and nothing was done with it this year, literally. Mm. And now it's just got, it's been literally weed back all mm. summer. Um, I'm only home one day a week, and it doesn't, it's not very conducive to gardening. But anyways, um, it's, no, it's just, like I said, it's weed or grass or whatever mm. is in there. And I'm wanting to know what I could put on it, I guess, in the fall, I don't know, that would... Get rid of that and prepare it for the spring, so that it the you know the soil's not uh, the soil's ready to go in the spring. Now, is this a garden that you've planted vegetables in in the past? No, it's always had flowers in it. So, but annual flowers as opposed to perennial. 
basically, yeah. A little bit of both, but basically annuals, yeah. I mean, that's always one of the hardest things is that if you have a big garden that's perennial based and then something happens where you just can't get to it for a year or more, suddenly it's not a beautiful garden anymore. It's no, full it's of all kinds of other unexpected planted stuff. by the wind <laughs> and the squirrels and the gosh, who knows how that stuff got there kind of stuff. So what do you do? The, I mean, really, honestly, by far the easiest thing to do is to annihilate everything that's in there, which means right. killing the weeds. But if there's anything of any value in there, that will die as well. So, yep. you you know, it might m- mean going in and digging out if you had something special you wanted to save. But what I would do is I'd get out the lawnmower or the weed whacker, something that can go in there and help you just cut everything down as low to the ground as you possibly can. So I'm talking like right down to the ground. Yeah. So there's a, a mowing or a trimming right down. Mm-hmm. with a machete as necessary right. then you want you want to kill what's in there and the you need to plastic. suffocate that's right black plastic like that's a big tarpaulin if it's a big mm-hmm. big garden um or it's a lot of newspapers i've oh, done that okay. as well and actually i did this last saturday i, I killed a i'm on a roll killing uh killing some Don't lawn they blow away no <laughs> what you do is you lay the newspapers down and then you put stuff on top of the oh, newspapers oh, okay so All in right. my case i put leaves and grass clippings and soil on top of the newspapers and mm-hmm. then water so that it's all nice and soggy and wet and oh, just okay. the, the weight of course of the wetness will keep everything down and the, ultimately you're going to suffocate what's beneath the newspapers. It's about two or three or even four or five layer th- layers thick of newspaper. And you don't want to do it on a windy day because it, it looks really silly. You're running around like a nutcase. Every time you lay down a paper, it all starts blowing. But, <laughs> but you, you know, you lay the papers, you put something on top, you, can, you lay, you lay, and you want to make sure no light can get to what's below. So it's got to oh. be right down in contact with the soil. Okay, makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, it's fun to do. It's quite, quite effective, actually. I will do that next. I'm only home on Fridays. I will do that next Friday. All right. Pray for good weather. Yeah. Good Good luck with that. Good trip to uh, Kingston with Mitzi. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. Drive careful. Thanks for your call. No, it's funny. Yeah. Um, that's a, that was a great call because that's exactly what I did last, um, was, I guess it was last Sunday. It was a nice day. Yeah. And I, I am expanding some garden beds. And I thought, well, you know, I can go out there and start lifting the sod and flipping the sod. And then I thought, no, why don't I just suffocate it? So I, you know, got out my newspapers and my leaves. Well, at some point I ran out of leaves because, you know, there's only so many leaves that have fallen yeah. so far. So I went to my neighbors and I started mowing their lawn and, and sucking all their leaves up into my into my <laughs> my machine. They're thinking you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Well, of course. Then yeah. the next, mm. the other neighbors are coming by. They're going, "Are you confused? Do you <laughs> do you not know where you live?" And I go, "I go, no, I know where I live. I'm just on a roll. I'm having so much fun." I said, "I'll be at your place in about 20 minutes. Like heads <laughs> up, everybody. I'm I'm mowing lawns today." So I just worked my way down the street there, picking up everybody's leaves and and lawns and took it all back. Yeah, poor Elliot. Piled poor. it on the. Where's Char- oh, she's on a leaf expedition. Don't worry. She's You'll be back gone. next week. It's fine. You know? you know, well, no, she's out drinking beer with the neighbors now, yeah. right? <laughs> before yeah. before that, you know it. <laughs> that I'd believe. Okay. Uh, oh, one of my favorite little towns, Stouffville. Hazel's calling in from. Hi, Hazel. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. Dude. Fine, thanks. Good morning, Hazel. Good morning, Charlie. All right. I've got a problem with Amanda Villa. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband bought it for me for our anniversary in June, mm-hmm. and it has been beautiful all summer. Mm-hmm. I brought it in when we were expecting cold weather, mm-hmm. as I figured I should, yep. and now the leaves are starting to drop mm-hmm. like fury, mm-hmm. and there's no more flowers on it. 
I was debating on cutting it back. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. Tell me something. Is Have you got it in a full sunny location in your house, the sunniest spot you can? Yes, it is, yes. Okay, so that's good. That's, you know, in a window, preferably southern window, uh, without shears or blinds on it. A southwest. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So that's nice and bright and sunny. Mm-hmm. The The fact that it's dropping leaves, in it, what it's doing is it's telling, it's gone into somewhat of a shock, right? right? So outside, there was a whole world that that plant was completely attuned to. Right. In your home, it's a different world. Right. The light is lower. The air is drier. It's warmer because we've started to put our furnaces on. So we're getting that, you know, hot air. Make sure there are there's no hot furnace air duct um, air blowing on it. Mm-hmm. Use one of those vent deflectors if necessary, because unfortunately the vents and the windows always seem to go together. So right when we put our plants in the windows, make sure that hot air is not blowing on the plants. Right. And you're you're right. Your instinct to cut it back is a good one. Mm. When the leaves start to turn yellow, no big deal. Just be careful that you don't overwater at this point because the plant is not using a lot of water. It's gone into this bit of a shock thing. It's dropping some leaves. It's doing a bit of a hunker down. Only water, you know, based on either using a moisture meter to find how moist it is right down deep into that soil or feel the weight of the pot or stick your finger in there. So water carefully, sparingly. Do cut back and be prepared for perhaps as much as 80 or 90 percent of the leaves will drop. But the plant will put out new leaves and the new leaves it puts out will be attuned to this new world it's in. Uh, and, and no fertilizer. How far should I cut it back? At what level should it Well, uh, you could cut it back by as much as a third, if necessary, or if necessary, even as much as a half. Um, I've been known to even go a little further than that, but it, it can be a little too shocking on the plant if you do more than that. So generally, at the most, about a half of the plant is what you would cut back to. And of course, you're cutting back to buds. And there are little buds there where the leaves have dropped. There's little dormant buds at each of those nodes, right which... Will which will pop uh, once the plant sort of refines its its uh, you know equilibrium. That's all that's going on there. It's just it's just got to get used to the new world. Mm-hmm. Okay, it but, has been beautiful all summer, and I hate to to lose it. Yeah, well, you shouldn't lose it. I think the easiest way to lose it right now is by overwatering. There's a tendency to water just like we did all summer when we bring our plants in, and you don't want to do that because it's not going to use water at that level. The soil is very dry. Okay, well, the, I mean, do I mean do water? Don't get me wrong there, but make sure it's not just dry on the surface. Make sure that it's it, it's dry right, right through. Reading, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So let it get you know quite dry, and then nothing wrong with watering thoroughly. You know, make sure you've got a saucer below so you can water thoroughly, and the water will drain through. Um, but but allow it to really dry down between waterings. And should I fertilize it? No, no fertilizer till February. Okay. You're not gonna you're not gonna force a lot of growth right now because the light levels are getting shorter and lower. Plants are naturally hunkering down. So you have to work with that natural process. Right. Then the days start to get longer. By February we start to s- just feel that boost of growth. Everything is just ready to go. Right. Then fertilizer is appropriate. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us, Let us know how that works out. It should be fine, though. Have a good day. You too. You betcha. It's now 934. Phone numbers uh, has been some time since they've given them, so better Mm. get you the garden show uh, phone numbers for Toronto, (laughs) 416-360-0740. And anywhere else in the province, it is toll-free, 1-866-740-740. 
4740. Uh, I was in the station yesterday and uh, bumped into Eva D, mm-hmm. who said to me, she said, is it okay if I call in? I said, well, <laughs> of course. Sure it is. You know, well, we'd People even accept the so... call from Moses Neimer. We'll I mean, let him on the air. Yeah. yeah. If he just waits his cue. He waits his yeah. turn. Yeah, right. You're darn right. We're very uh, democratic here. Uh, all right. On to, uh, we'll talk oh, to you want anybody. To, did you want to do something there? Oh, I, I well, thought just, you were... Just looking at my it, notes or I something. See. Oh, I do have yeah. a couple of emails. If we have a minute, I'd like to get to them. But since we have callers waiting, let's, let's get to them. All righty. Good enough. We'll uh, race along here to Maria. Uh, and I don't know where you're calling from, Maria. Hello, Maria. Okay. I'm calling from Toronto. Okay. Hi there. Uh, hi. I'd like to show um, a question. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me that if I mulch the leaf and put it in a garden, the garden become acidy and not everything like no, acid the, soil. Okay, so good question. Uh, and the one time we consider that could be an issue is if you have only oak trees on your property and in your neighborhood. Because mm-hmm. oak leaves will acidify your soil. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no. No. Um, any other, uh, you know, maple tree or ash tree or, you know what I'm saying, like honey locust, any of those leaves will not acidify your soil. But, oh. um, but oaks will. So oh. if you live in Oakville or, you know <laughs> what I mean, a place where it's all oaks, you're right. You have to be a little more careful with uh, using um, oak leaves as your only form of, of leaf amendment. And certainly testing your soil in the spring or in the fall is always a good idea. And it's a simple pH test. You can do it yourself uh, with one of the little test kits you can pick up at at your local garden center. But no, generally speaking, our soils are clay-based and they are on the alkali side. So adding leaves is good. What would I put to make the soil sweeter instead of acid? You would add something called horticultural lime. Okay. Uh, But again, always do a pH test to be sure that that's the appropriate thing to be doing. Okay. Okay. Save my leaves. (laughs) Good. Good. Okay, then thank you. Thank Thank you, Maria. That's a good question, though. Yeah, exactly. People, uh, I didn't know about, about that oak that. leaves. Yeah. yeah, and of course, oak leaves are, don't fall off very quickly either. They're the ones that kind of hang on all winter and make that nice little crunchy noise in the, in the wind mm-hmm. in the very winter. Very pretty. Very yep. pretty. Yep. I mean, the other one I should probably mention is walnuts. Uh, not that common of a tree, but if you have a walnut, I think you had a walnut at one point in one of your past yes, lives. Yes, If you have a walnut tree on your property, those are leaves you do not want to mulch and, and incorporate into the garden as well. Just because there's a very naturally occurring chemical in the leaves that um, the plant has evolved to to produce, and it's its form of of narcissism and saying nobody else can grow here except me. <laughs> <I like laughs> and, and yeah, exactly. Walnuts are pretty, uh, you know, self uh, selfish plants, and they do not want to share the space or narcissi- with anybody. <laughs> a narcissistic tree. I like yeah, that. Yeah. So walnut leaves, we also. typically bag and send off to our local uh, municipalities rather than keeping them on the property. Okay. (laughs) Ian in Rockwood, welcome to the show. Good morning. Well, I think she just read the next question off her screen because I'm surrounded by walnut trees. Oh, for gosh sakes, look at this. ask about mulching the leaves Uh if the the, uh, poison, which I believe starts with the letter B, I can't remember. No, it's actually juglone, it's called. Yeah, so I guess I would just be mulching that into the soil, wouldn't That's right. I? That's right. So you're surrounded by walnut trees? You've got that many? I am. Oh, wow. man. And none Good of them you. are on my property. Oh. But I'm surrounded by dozens of them. Wow. They're lovely trees. Beautiful. They would make lovely furniture. I was going to say. As can be. 
<laughs> well, that's why people plant walnuts. That's so, I, I had honestly when we lived north of Stouffville, yeah. I had fifteen and a half acres, and I was going to plant mm-hmm. black walnut. Mm-hmm. And then somebody said, you know, you you know plant and let them go for you know twenty thirty years, you can retire. Yep. Well, I planted a couple, and then some snowmobile guys ran over it, and that was it. Yeah. Well, and there's well, they have to be well grown. They yeah. have to be very straight, straight, straight yep. trunks, and you have to prune them when they're young so that you don't have all those little stumps. Yeah, my like it be look like a clear. pretzel. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be clear wood, no, no uh, mm-hmm. little um, yeah marks in it. So, well, that's anything too bad. I, anything I can do to counter the poison? Because mm. of course, my gardening is sparse. Well, you know what? Other I was than raised gardens. I can do. Yes, raised gardens can work very well. And interestingly, I was in a garden last weekend or the weekend before, and uh, at the base of a walnut was a very beautiful garden. It was mostly based, it was mostly hostas, but they were all doing fine. Now, this was a situation where the person recognized they needed to amend the soil. They also lived on a sheep farm, so they had access to lots of good composted manure. And the garden growing beneath the walnut looked great. You wouldn't even know it was a walnut based on the the garden below. So it can be done. Hosta. Yeah, they had lots of hosta growing below, but okay, amend. I was going to try periwinkle and mm-hmm. English ivy around the yep. bottom, so I didn't have to trim. That's fine. Either of those should do fine, but recognize that you've got to do some soil amending. And we usually we find that anyway with any of our gardens beneath trees, that the tree tends to suck all the good nutrients out and the, the soil gets quite sort of sparse quickly, particularly if it's an old tree. So you can, you can certainly raise the level of the soil by as much as an inch, inch and a half at the base of the tree by amending. Or in your case, you're talking about, I wouldn't go too far in terms of raised beds right at the base of trees, but raised beds out in the open um, beyond the, the, mm-hmm. um, the canopy of the trees could work if you, you know, you're looking to do vegetables and that sort of thing. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. Thanks for the call. And I'm uh, sad yeah. you've got that many walnuts and yeah. you don't have access to good leaves. Because <laughs> I would really miss my leaves if they were all if they're all walnuts. I'd be in trouble. <laughs> have a great day. Good luck with and that. And thanks Ian. for calling. Nine forty two. Oh, nine forty one. Pardon me. Don't let me fibbed you here on a Saturday morning, twenty third of October. We will return and say hi to Jimmy in Port Colborne in just a moment. Through rainy days and long droughts, infestations and early frost, she's the one constant in your garden. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Well, Jimmy, what's the story with your tomato? Hello. Hey, Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. Good morning, uh, beautiful Charlie, great Frank. i got to start off right. (laughs) Uh, Listen, uh, one, what's the most popular tomato you ever tasted? Hmm, probably beef steaks, big beef. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, mm. I want to hold you up too long. Well, I'll tell you, it's called the brandy wine. Oh, okay. You heard of it? Yep. Did you grow those this they're year? Awesome. There's no seeds and it's all tomato. Yeah, they're they're That's, very meaty. Yes. That? You there? I'm I'm here. Yes, I have grown them myself. They're very meaty tomatoes. Oh, I love them. Oh, good. I didn't want to eat. I just looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> brandy uh, wine. Okay, I'm gonna. Another thing, this that gentleman was talking about walnuts. There's somebody in Niagara on the Lake. Him and his daughter grow walnuts, and they got walnut cheese all over the place. Mm-hmm. Wow! Uh, I got their newspaper clipping, and they're very successful with them. With the walnuts. Yeah. Yeah, walnuts are easy to grow. It's trying to grow other things that's the problem. Yeah, there's, uh, there's some guy in Niagara on the Lake. Him and his daughter grow them because I got the newspaper clipping here. It's very interesting. Okay. Well, perhaps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perhaps Ian is still listening. Well, thanks for that. And like you say, brandy wine is a great tomato. So I'm glad you had you had fun with it, and it's a tasty one. I'm gonna mark that down, and Di and I go up. And pick, pick we up like some, that name yeah. too, brandy wine. Yeah. Bra- well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I'd like that, didn't yes. you? Yes. <laughs> all right. Where are we traveling now? Oh my gosh! All the way up to Wingham. 
where I actually had my first audition as an announcer. Really? CKNX in Wingham. Mm, <laughs> they gave Wingham. me a newscast to read. It's supposed to be five minutes. I read it to us. So nervous. <laughs> no breathing. John, yeah, no, God, it was awful. John, good morning. Good morning to you. I have one question. Mm-hmm. After Thanksgiving and then after Halloween, mm-hmm. we were going to take our pumpkins mm-hmm. and smash them into our vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. The question is, do I have to remove all the seeds first, or will we, or otherwise will we grow more pumpkins? <laughs> yes, it is definitely possible that, that some uh, pumpkins will grow from those seeds next spring. But I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, they're pretty obvious. You can tell it's a pumpkin when it starts to grow. I mean, you could pull them up in the spring. Um, I, frankly always take my pumpkin and chop it up and throw it either in the garden or into the composter. But I take the seeds out first because I love roasted pumpkin seeds. Oh, there you go. I love them. But yeah, it's a bit of work. So if you've just got pumpkins kicking around, yeah, smash them up, throw them out in the garden. um, But watch for seedlings in the spring and be prepared to just, you know, turn them over or pull them up. They'll come up very easily early in the season. Oh, well, fine. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling, John. It's wonderful, thank you. wonderful Bye. organic matter. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. It's great organic matter in pumpkins. You can't get better. I like the uh, pumpkin seed roasted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite part of Halloween. Mm, i got to get that recipe from you uh, after the show, yeah. 9.46 as we uh, well, step along to Stony Creek. Mm-hmm. Laura, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Morning. I'm looking for uh, some kind of a solution for uh, very invasive Jerusalem artichokes. They've gotten into places that they aren't wanted. Hmm. Yes, like so many happy plants, when they're happy, and at first we're happy because they're happy, but then soon we're not so happy because they're taking over, and those that can be a problem. So what do you do? Well, you know what? I'm going to throw this out to some of our listeners because I think some of our listeners are going to have some suggestions on what do you do. I mean, the logically, the you want to keep some Jerusalem artichoke in the garden and you just don't want to have it take over? Is that sort of the biggest, that's the real problem? Well, I didn't think I could keep some without it taking over, so oh. I was just thinking I have to eliminate it. Uh, um, okay, and then yeah, it's yeah, really... It's dig. I mean, what are, what are the ways we get rid of things that are driving us crazy? Digging, number one. Oh, spraying. I've been doing that for three years. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's... T- showing up, and yeah. they come up through my irises, and they come up in bulb places, and they just are... Boy, they're really invasive, aren't they? Wow. Once their little bit is yeah. there. And then they've come up under a, a, a bush um, near my composter. I think I must have tossed them in there one year, and mm. that was bad. So now they're all around the composter. And I have to take out everything. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do because they're just, they, they go under things. They go under the fence. They go up through the grass. They, yeah. They're everywhere. Right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I understand. It's a, it's a huge problem because, you, you know, I, my, probably my good example at my house for, of this it would be violets. I, believe it or not, once planted a violet, you know, a little native Canadian mm-hmm. violet. Oh, they're everywhere, you know. <laughs> they it's, just took over. Yeah, well, and you know, you can you, with work, you can keep them out they're of the gardens. They're easier to pull out. <clears throat> yeah, no, but Jerusalem artichokes are worse once for sure. They're in the ground. Every little tiny bit of root <clears throat> that leaves grow. there, or any bit of the yeah. tuber, is um, going to produce something yeah. new next year, and 
That's right. Boy, that's maddening. It wow. is. Well, I mean, Roundup is still available. Roundup is a herbicide. It's a non-selective herbicide that can work early in the season. Yeah, they're coming up right through my nice plant. Well, that's the thing. That's exactly right. And so that's where you, it becomes you have to lift the nice plants, pull out all the Jerusalem artichoke, you know what I mean? Uh, or, you know, and then put the nice plant, you know, cleanse the bed and put the when nice plants back in. When is the best time to in. do that? Is it now or is it in the spring? In the spring is going to be an easier time in a sense well i mean what you could do is be doing the lifting and the separating out you know get rid of the jerusalem artichoke pot up or separate out your your keeper plants you will be he- what we call healing them in temporarily over the winter back into the ground or in pots just under the ground for the winter come spring though you've still got root of jerusalem artichoke that can come up you can control with the solarization, you know, that black plastic. It's just literally bake that earth, kill what's beneath the plastic. Or be right on top of it with Roundup every 24 hours. Every time you see a little bit poking up, you spray. Meanwhile, you know, it's going to be a process of six or eight or ten weeks of doing that before you can put your lovely chosen plants back into the garden. Is it a big plot that you have, uh, Laura, or? Yeah, it's like about 20 feet long by about 6 feet deep. Oh, well, yeah. give us a call in 2008. Uh, or <laughs> but they're in a big section of it. Because yeah. I planted them all across the back yeah. row of the thing, thinking, oh, they're lovely and tall. They'll look nice against cedars. Wow, and, yeah. And I didn't realize what they were going to do under yeah. the ground. Right. Wow. I know, yeah, it's really, it's just tear the whole, the, like, the best thing to do, of course, is tear the whole garden apart, you know, sort of yeah. get right back, taking everything out that you love, separating out all the juice from artichoke, and then solarizing that bed, and then going back in with the good stuff later. And when, how much later? When can I plant the, the stuff back in? Well, you wait until there's no sign of Jerusalem artichoke coming up. So it might be July before you can do that because you're going to spend the entire spring and early summer out there with your Roundup spritzing every time a little bit of Jerusalem artichoke comes up. That's the thing. You don't want to jump back into it too soon. I mean, the other, some people say, well, I mean, you could get a bobcat and go in there and just take all the soil out, you know throw it all away and get all new soil it's an expensive wow, thing to a, do yeah. but i mean that's an option too uh yeah no i know <laughs> not much of one by the sound of things sound, it's hard i know it's a hard thing to do um the other thing is take it quadrant at a time don't try and do the whole garden at once you, okay. even if you're using some underground um Borders, edging yeah. stuff you know boards or whatever just sort of take i would try and take a chunk at a time make it doable uh rather than trying to take it all on at once but yeah it's it is tough either that or find about 20 friends who will come and help you and uh and really help you with with digging and and pulling it all apart gee let us know how you come along with it that's that's a real problem yeah boy oh boy we think it's going to be a nice plant and then it turns out invasive it's really a drag I'm afraid that that's the best uh, we can give you right now i'm only saying that because charlie sort of is uh, oh boy you know Unless one of our listeners wants to give us a call, might have a suggestion. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it very much. And we'll be along uh, with uh, another call from uh, St. Thomas. Carolyn is waiting to talk to Charlie Dobbin here on The Garden Show. And she will right after a couple of words, including words from our goddess of the garden. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Who wants to share with you (laughs) the importance of staying limber. Uh, Sierra Sill, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, is a patented 
all-natural mineral complex. It's been clinically proven to reduce inflammation, which is really important when it's, you know, Mm -hmm. we talk about some of these activities of getting out in the garden and ripping and tearing and digging and pruning. We need our hands and our knees and our hips and our shoulders. We need it all to work. And if you're stiff, if you've got arthritis, if you've got any kind of chronic joint inflammation, Sierra Silk can really help to make, uh, uh, like allow you to be active, whether it's active in the garden or just active going for a walk and shopping and raking leaves one way or the other. We all want to be active. We want to be healthy. Sierra Silk can really help if you have issues with that. Easy phone number, one eight seven seven joint 14 for more information. Transplanting good ideas from one gardener to another. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And yours truly, Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, and Carolyn online from St. Thomas. Good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you. Morning. Good morning. I do have a question. Mm-hmm. I have a Brugmantia mm-hmm. that I planted this year, which has grown beautifully. And now, according to directions, it can be winterized in the barn. Mm-hmm. And I just need to know how much to cut it back. Is it flowering right now? It, it has buds on it, mm-hmm. but it's not flowering at this moment. Okay. So if you're going to winterize it in the barn, then we're talking a frost-free, cool, dark location. Yes. Okay. So, yes, um, I mean, you are, I would cut it back, excuse me, by at least a third. A third? Okay. Yep. And, of course, water before you go into the barn with it. Make sure it doesn't have it. You're not taking bugs and things in the soil uh, with you. Give it a bit of a wash. Yes. And then uh, do check it every three, four weeks. Go in and give it a check. You may need to do some watering through the winter. Not a lot, but a little bit just to keep it alive. You will not expect a lot of growth, but you want it to basically just be in a holding pattern. Right. And it's going to be what we would consider semi-dormant. Okay. So because be I have a diplodemia also. Uh-huh. Should I cut Same it back thing. Third exactly. as well. Yeah, exactly. Same exact thing. Just try and avoid taking any bugs with you because they're going to sort of mess up the plant's ability to settle down and relax. It needs to be just kind of left alone. And so get make sure the earwigs and the, the sow bugs and all the, the worms and spiders and stuff are left outside. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. And good luck with that. And on we go to Markham now for Elaine's question. Hi, or comment. I don't know. Uh, how are you doing this morning, Elaine? I'm just fine. Thank you. Um, my question is, may have been partially answered. I have had two hibiscus, mm-hmm. and they were absolutely beautiful. One is a younger one, and one is a year old. Mm-hmm. And I brought them in and set them in front of my patio doors where they get lots of light Good. and no draft. Good. And the older one is getting yellow leaves all the time. Mm-hmm. Those are just old leaves, older, more mature leaves that grew when it was outside in the lots and lots of sun. Mm-hmm. When we bring it indoors, the light levels have dropped dramatically between outside and inside. And if you have a, a newer home, then you've probably got the fancy windows that do a lot of reflecting of the uh, UV rays. So the plant is dropping the leaves because those leaves are not being effective. They are not getting sufficient sunlight in order to photograph. To synthesize. They will drop, new leaves will grow, the new leaves that grow will be able to utilize the amount of light that's coming in through the window. So maybe I should switch where they are because one, the one that isn't dropping, like they're side by side, mm-hmm. but the one that isn't dropping is getting more light. Mm, okay. 
Not a bad idea. I mean, it's always a good idea to remember to turn our plants 180 degrees just to make sure they stay balanced when yeah, they're turn in them the window. So I can see the blooms. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it, exactly, because they will tend to bloom on the window side where it's mm-hmm. brighter. So we turn to enjoy that that pretty side, and it also is good for the plant to keep it balanced and centered. So you're right. If you can give them a switch as well in terms of their the amount of light they're getting, um, and share that that access to the light. But don't be shocked and amazed. I mean, even plants that haven't been outside in the summer will often, you know, house plants, tropicals, will often have their own little fall in in the autumn inside our homes. Uh, plants like uh, Benjaminas or Benji plants, they'll often, you'll see older leaves suddenly, you know, 10% mm. suddenly will turn yellow and drop off mm-hmm. now, just because light levels have dropped. Should I cut them back? If it's up to you. Sometimes if they're blooming, we don't want to cut them back. So mm-hmm. I would leave, enjoy the blooms. But if they're just, you know, little twiggy growths with tiny little leaves on the end, then yes, you're going to want to cut back at some point because you're going to want to encourage dense green growth from the center of the plant, not just out on the tips. And the same as you said before, no fertilizing till February? Correct. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. You're Thank very you welcome. very much, Elaine. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, as always, to all our callers, we we thank you very much. We uh, do. Can I ask sort of a personal question? Uh, I suppose. Oh no, no. But uh, <laughs> almost with every call, uh, and they refer to a certain plant or flower, you say, "Oh yes, I have those." And do you have a hundred acres? Uh, what size is your property? My God! It's a suburban lot. And it's, really? Okay. It's, it's not that big. But it sounds like it's fantastic. Well, some people would say so. It's I consider my garden kind of a test garden. It's not a magazine-worthy garden whatsoever. It's a lot of one of this and one of that, and oh, there's a little spot I can stick something in there. So I definitely do grow a lot of different plants, and there's really no rhyme or reason quite often to where they've been planted other than there's a spot there. Well, uh, that's, that's nice to know. Yeah, so I do quite a bit of fiddling around in my garden, moving things, trying them in different spots, and, and of course, always trying to fix the soil, right? It all comes down to good soil. Yeah, and um, look at that time. Look at that time. You know, here, quick, one yeah, short sure. little email from last week. This is from Annette. She asks, and I think this is a question many people have, uh, if the red potatoes that grow in the pots from the light green potato vine are good for eating. All right, so this is mm. sweet potato vine. You get those tubers, big tubers, inside the pots. Are they edible? She says, I love the plant for show, and I plant lots of them, and at the end of the season, I just throw out the potatoes. So the answer to the question is, yes, they are edible, but frankly, Annette, they're not very, they're completely bland. They are, they're not really sweet potatoes. They're just a starchy root. So yes, if, if you are really hurting and you are really hungry, <laughs> yeah. they are edible. Uh, lots of butter, lots of salt, lots of pepper, and uh, you can make them quite tasty, but left on their own, they're really, really bland. <laughs> well, Charlie, it's been an exciting show. I mean, we've had lots of great questions. I thank all the callers. I do as well. Thanks to all our wonderful callers. And keep those good calls coming. Anybody who's got an idea for the artichoke, the Jerusalem artichoke problem that Laura is suffering from in Stony Creek, give us a call next week or email me this week. Happy to hear what you've got to say. Exactly. And thank you, Frank. You're here for a while? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be sticking around right till uh, 4 o'clock, basically. Lots going on Lots in the city. of stuff happening live in the city. Always. All right. Thanks a lot, Grace. See everybody next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.